I reached a point where I had about just like given up and was like, I can't even do this anymore. And that scared the heck out of me. And I was like, I do this for a living. I navigate interprofessional healthcare communication. I navigate health insurance. I navigate medications. I navigate treatment plans. And I have been this beat down by how dismissed and invalidated. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, I'd like to share with you two reviews today, both of them short and sweet. One of them is from listener Bouncin75 on the Apple Podcast platform. It's entitled Found My People. I love this podcast. It's like an answer key to my life. And the other one is from Nini Beth Miles. I apologize if I mangled that one. It's called So Real and Down to Earth. Love this podcast. Solid content and great conversational style. Thank you so much to both of you. I am so glad you found this little podcast and that these conversations have been helpful. And for those of you who have been listening to these interviews and enjoying this podcast, now is as good a time as any to press pause and write a super quick short review just to let me know I've been doing a good job. Go ahead. I promise I'll wait. Or if that's too much right now, and I totally get it, you can always just go hit those five stars. It really helps tremendously in getting this podcast noticed and found by other women who could also really benefit from hearing these conversations and knowing they're not alone. Okay, here we are at episode 97, in which I interview Kaylin Johnson. Kaylin is an American healthcare provider, mental health advocate, and entrepreneur. She shows high-achieving neurodivergent individuals how to unmask their health and feel their best through concierge whole-person care. As a licensed clinical pharmacist, functional medicine specialist, healthcare advocate, and neurodivergent mentor, Kaylin bridges the gap between mental health and physical health through her professional and personal experience. After a year of struggling with extreme burnout and depression, she was diagnosed with ADHD, autism, and PTSD at the age of 33. Contrary to some, she had always thought she might be autistic, but she was shocked when her therapist first told her that she suspected ADHD as well. Kaylin then had to unpack a lot of the overzealous coping mechanisms that had been in place since she was young to compensate for her mostly inattentive ADHD symptoms. We discuss what it takes to curate a neurodivergent-affirming care team and what that might even look like. We also discuss self-advocacy and finding the right medications for your treatment plan. And we chat about her experience coming out as queer versus her experience coming out as ADHD and autistic, and why the latter proved to be the more difficult experience for her. Kaylin is such a wonderful resource for the neurodivergent community, and I'm thrilled that she's agreed to host a Q&A in the Women in ADHD online community this month, where she will be giving an intro to ADHD medications, explaining the different types of popular medications, their classifications, what symptoms they target, and she'll also be available to answer your burning questions about medication and ADHD treatment plans. That will take place live on Sunday, August 21st, and like all of our monthly Q&As with experts, it will be recorded and available exclusively for members of the community. You can find out more about that at womenandadhd.com events. 
And if you're not yet a member of the Women in ADHD community and you'd like to join us, we would love to have you. So head over to womenandadhd.com to join. Kaylin is also hosting a free webinar in September on the topic of advocacy. You can find out more about that at her website, kaylinjohnson.com. And of course, there are links in the show notes. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this interview with Kaylin as much as I did. I'll ask you the question I always like to start out with, which was, you know, how long ago were you diagnosed with ADHD and what was going on in your life that you were like, uh, I gotta, I gotta really look into this. Yeah. So I started really looking into everything, knew that a lot was happening for me around late, gosh, 2018, 2019. And it was really at the start of the pandemic. I am a diagnosed (laughs) pandemic baby, (laughs) like a lot of us out here. So I ended up diagnosing about, gosh, it was a year, year and a half ago now that I was diagnosed with ADHD and then shortly after diagnosed with autism. So what really led to all of that were I was really, really starting to struggle with my mental health, with my physical health. And it was really the physical toll that a lot of unaddressed traumas um, had really taken on me, um, as well as pretty much all of my ADHD coping mechanisms, which were all to just power through everything. I would pop up like a Pop-Tart every morning because I knew it was the only way I could get started. And I would just uh, hyper-focus until, you know, I wouldn't really sleep. I would just write it out. And that eventually took its toll on me. And I was like, yeah, okay, this is something. And turns out ADHD. So did you go to your doctor or was it something you were talking about with your therapist or how did you kind of know that that was a a sign of ADHD? Because I feel like for so many of us, all of that like masking and burnout and exhaustion, like for me, at least it just like wasn't even on my radar that this was anything other than normal life. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I had no clue. My therapist still says she remembers like my jaw hitting the floor when she told me that it was ADHD and it was complete shocked, <laughs> especially with my, um, I had people in my family who had um, more of the like hyperactive um, symptoms where I was a lot more on the inattentive um, ADHD side that I just had no clue because it was all internal. And I still remember my therapist said something to me that was something my mom had said to me um, growing up, which was, don't you ever get tired of thinking? And I was like, yeah, (laughs) but I mean, what am I, (laughs) is there an alternative? I didn't know. I had no clue because it was all, it was all up in here. And yeah, little did I know there were other people like me. I know. I used to always make that joke about overthinking where people would always tell me to stop thinking so much. And I would always joke and be like, huh, I need to stop thinking so much. How am I going to stop thinking so much? I should probably Google that. Maybe there's some books about how to think, stop thinking so much. Oh, I bet there's a podcast out there. And I would like joke about that thinking everybody thought that way. (laughs) And, And now I'm like, maybe that is not the case. What kind of then led you to think maybe there's more here, maybe there's also autism, and also like what was that diagnosis process like? Yeah, um, so 
I find at least when I'm talking to people in the community, I think I was maybe um, uh, kind of opposite of a lot of people where I had suspected autism in myself um, when I, I was probably, you know, even within my teens was kind of you know, learning like even at the time, like what Asperger's was. And I was kind of like, well, I mean, like that might like, especially I had a lot of sensory issues. That was huge for me. Um, even like I really struggled. I come from a very athletic family and they love hiking in Colorado. And I absolutely hated it because of things like the wind, like would just want to melt down. Um, but again, I found ways to uh, really see everything as practicing distress tolerance. So it became very, very normal for me to be uncomfortable and to find, um, you know, creative ways to be, (laughs) to be uncomfortable and to be okay with it. And then again, with kind of how our, you know, society and culture operates, a lot of that was validated and encouraged. And I didn't know otherwise in a lot of ways. So, so the autism piece for me, I was very much aware of. And that really came to light when I was also talking to my therapist and we were talking about uh, dress codes at work. Um, I, again, I'm a clinical pharmacist and I worked in the um, academia for eight years prior to doing what I'm doing now. And um, in our clinic space, we had to have all of our skin covered because of body fluids. And I would have just like total panic attacks, meltdowns about the sensory issues with clothing. And she had made a comment about, well, did my clothing actually like fall within the kind of constraints of that dress code? And I, it became a very black and white problem for me. And (laughs) she was like, you like lost all sense of being able to have like nuance in that case. And that was really what led her to that. So, yeah, I know this is kind of where I am on this. You know, I I've done a lot of these, um, Instagram videos about like ADHD, you know, things that I thought were just quirks about me that it turns out are related to ADHD. And there's so much overlap when it comes to sensory tolerance. And I'm just like, I don't even know what to do about with it. Because there's some level, especially like noise. And I look back, like with babies, you know, and and the emotional dysregulation that came from sleep deprivation and noise and crying and like all of that. It makes sense to me through an ADHD lens. But at the same time, it also makes so much sense through an autism lens. And I'm also like, how do you even begin to know what the difference like what one is and what isn't? And I, I don't know. That's where I am right now. I'm on that journey right now where I'm like, I don't really how do I don't know how to I guess I need to just get tested and, <laughs> and figure that out. I really but my ADHD is keeping me from doing it. But like, uh, you know, it's always fascinating to me kind of how those dominoes fall, right? Because so many people I think come at this from the from the autism side and then ADHD becomes sort of like a comorbidity but then at the same time I'm like I don't want to ignore the autism side but a lot of it just makes sense to me with ADHD I don't know you know what I'm saying well exactly well and I think you hit on really the topic in a lot of ways that I feel kind of the most passionate about with this, because I think you're hitting on exactly where um, we can get really hung up both as the patient and as the provider is in pathologizing. And I am very, um, I guess, 
anti that within my own treatment with my therapist and my psychiatrist and my other providers. Um, and, uh, as well as with my, my patients, like, here's the deal. If, um, especially when I'm in like my provider mindset, if somebody is coming to you and they tell you, Hey, self-diagnosed, um, TikTok told me I have ADHD and autism to write that off, to not, listen to somebody, they are, they are telling you something about their experience. And it is my job then as the provider to listen, to find the validity in that wherever it lies, whether they are right about that diagnosis or not. And I think what we're seeing and what is so clear is our understanding of ADHD, autism, neurodivergence, and where and how all of those things interact with each other, how trauma interacts with it, specifically complex PTSD, as I am very much of the opinion that a lot, most of us who have um, especially late diagnosed um, ADHD and or autism, um, you know, have, <laughs> we come with some complex PTSD as well. Uh, when you live the life, you know, not knowing that this world you know, again, this whole internal experience that's working against you. So I think you just hit on really why we're seeing, you know, a lot of changes trying to come to the DSM. I think there's some, you know, good and bad uh, within that. But I think there's just a whole still world to discover within that diagnostic process. And I'm just here and interested to treat the patient that's in front of me, um, whatever that means, whatever the diagnosis is or isn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. And I feel like, you know, just having the conversation around neurodivergence is so much more comfortable because it's sort of, it's all encompassing. And it feels like everybody kind of is on the spectrum, regardless of what you've been labeled with. And yet at the same time, I also don't want to be dismissive or minimize uh, somebody's experience in terms of like, oh, we're all just in this together. And then sometimes, you know, people can feel like, actually, no, my experience is very different from yours. <laughs> and so that's, you know, what I explore on this podcast is like, how similar so many of us, um, you know, how similar our experience is, but yet at the same time, each person is so unique. And, you know, and then yeah, you bring in something like trauma, where it's like, oh, my God, like, how do you even begin to parse the trauma of living a life undiagnosed and especially the trauma of, of living a life undiagnosed as a woman. I mean, being a woman is traumatic alone <laughs> so yes. in our society. And so I'm like, you know, oh, God, anyway, yeah. I'm just well, in like a very um, you know, existential mood, I think, today, because I'm just like, I just, ah, I don't, it, the more I learn, the less I understand is my answer. <laughs> that's exactly. Well, and I think, I mean, again, you kind of hit on two pieces of the back and forth that I have and even doing the work that I do now is when I am able to be someone who can sit and um, listen and often, am, you know, one of the first providers um, who will understand these patients in front of me, I'm like, yay, I can help. But then also there's that existential, that advocate part of me that's like, Oh my gosh, like I will have patients who come in. It's been, I've been trying and misdiagnosed, you know, uh, not listened to, felt invalidated, dismissed by, by providers for 20 years, for seven years. Um, 
somebody the other day, I was like, you know, why do you want to like work on this now? They were like, well, um, I've been look- waiting for you, looking for you since 2007. I was like, well, that was a year after I graduated high school. So <laughs> I had to wait a little bit. But <laughs> so like, yeah, I mean, it is it is. I'm so glad that there is this community now and these experiences are being told because I think that's how we're going to see even healthcare change around this um, is really because of all of this. Uh, but it is a way that we can, I mean, truly um, help each other and heal. Yeah. So I know I have so many questions for you as a pharmacist, but first of all, I want to just ask about, uh, you know, after your diagnosis, what are some things in your childhood? What are some things in your past where you look back and you're like, oh yeah, the signs were there all along? <laughs> yeah, it really took me being a lot more educated even on um, what inattentive ADHD looked like, because I will say even in pharmacy school, we did not get a whole lot of education on that. So I really did not know. But once I had that and looked back, it was again looking at a lot of I had some uh, I guess you could call them excellent <laughs> coping skills. They caused me a lot of distress. But when I really, really look back things again, like I would, um, when I would get home from school, I would do my homework right away because I knew that if I went and played or had a snack or even like went to the bathroom, that I might not start it and I might not finish it. Um, so I had to ride the motivation wave. Um, same thing where like if my I only had one alarm and I literally trained myself to like I'm up out of the bed standing up as soon as I heard that alarm and I would start like half asleep walking to the bathroom. So that way, I mean, shocker, what I struggle with now is I allow like when I allow myself to be not so rigid um, is task initiation and uh, also switching tasks. That is my biggest uh, struggle that I have to yeah, still deal with and not fall back on those old coping mechanisms. But those were huge for me. Yeah. And I think a lot of uh, this, my hyperverbal, <laughs> my, my dad always said he was like, you were great at conversations. You could talk about anything. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) What was your parents' reaction when you, did you discuss your diagnosis with them? I did. They were not fully shocked. I don't think as much on the autism. They were very much shocked on the ADHD, especially the fact, um, but you did well in school. And I did very, very well in school. Um, So I got that uh, comment, which, um, you know, I was that classic ex-gifted kid uh, who was kind of all the struggles were kind of looked past then. Uh, and again, with my my sister actually really displayed a lot more of the hyperactive traits. And so it was like, no, 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 that's, that's her. Like, that's not you. They have definitely, I would say, come around more to the idea of it as I've kind of helped try to give little education pieces here and there. It was rough for them to accept. And I think rough as well, where some of the work I'm doing is around teaching people that they can be comfortable and that a lot of their health issues come from, again, this chronic stress and then inflammation from being uncomfortable in every aspect of your life where my parents are likely, you know, neurodivergent as well. And they 
have lived a life of discomfort. And that is triggering and hard to look at, I think, for a lot of people who aren't ready to look at that to say, wait, I didn't I didn't have to do this this whole time. Um, and I'm always a challenger of that. So I think I probably drive my parents a little crazy with that. Yeah, I have this conversation a lot with my clients, too, which is the, you know, oftentimes clients will come to me and they'll be like, what's the answer? How can I do more? How can I be productive every day, all day? And I'm like, you you just can't. You just don't. Like, that should not be the goal. <laughs> and and we've been sold this bill of goods, right? Which is like, you got to do, you got to be, you know, don't stop and nothing's going to stop you and you got to figure it out. And it's really about untangling that because I feel like more than anything, a neurodivergent brain needs rest <laughs> and needs to do less. And it's like, how can we have that desire to always do all the things that comes from being somebody with ADHD and being super excited and, and very like enthusiastic and entrepreneurial and always wanting to like, have, how can we have that get up and go, but at the same time, realize that like, self-care starts with doing a lot less than what we're doing. And it's, you know, it, it, it's the conversation I feel like I have like a broken record all the time, which is like, no, I, I'm not going to teach you how to be productive every day, all day. Like, it's just not healthy. <laughs> no, my, my wife cracks, cracked up that she was like, oh, I see it. When we were moving into this house, it was right at um, the start of the pandemic. My parents came up and helped us move. And, uh, you know, they're in their um, 60s, but they were like, we walked outside and my dad had literally the couch on his own and just like, <sighs> like walking in and my mom had a chair and they would not stop, would not stop until we were done. And I, um, my wife actually, um, so she also has ADHD. She also has multiple sclerosis, um, so autoimmune uh, disease and I was like, hey, mom, dad, like, we got to take a break. Like, you know, it's going to start affecting Marnie's physical ability. And my dad was like, you know, like your mom, she can't. If she stops, she's not going to get back up. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is this is why I am the way I am. <laughs> I was going to, you know, when you were talking, I wrote down momentum because I was like, that's we do that. Right. I mean, and you and the other thing is, I think oftentimes, like, we don't know when it's going to come back. Right. And so I think momentum is very very unreliable. And it's like a giant question mark, too. So you really do often have that pressure to ride the wave. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which it's a, it's a balance of it, because I will say that's still like one of my, you know, ADHD, I would say tricks that I harness is I create a wave for myself still, but I try to make that wave a little calmer and uh, match the time that I'm giving myself, let's say, to do a project or to work. So even like little things like the lights, um, what I wear, my jewelry, like neon, like those will give me those little bits of dopamine that I need or that little bit of that motivator to be like, oh, this is fun. And then I'll sit down and actually do whatever work I need to. Um, but knowing that I'm not gonna, you know, it's not gonna fuel a likely a four hour, like I haven't looked away and forgot about the rest of the world type of hyper focus. Yeah, yeah, same. I'm all about biorhythms. I'm like, that has been the biggest lesson that I've learned since my diagnosis is just to be like, have faith that the momentum is going to come and you're going to enjoy it. And also have faith that when you can't get off the couch, there's a really good reason for why you're not getting off the couch. So enjoy that too. <laughs> <laughs> and like step back and realize that you are a whole person with a whole productive cycle and not, you know, because, you know, I think so often we look at ourselves 
as the one who can't get off the couch because it's more interesting. You know, there's more dopamine in the puzzle and the and the confusion of the of the not being able to get off the couch. And so we don't really pay any attention to those times that we are like, oh yeah, I also started a business over the weekend or all those yeah. other things that we do. <laughs> Uh, like I remember when you had when you were still kind of before you had even started your business and you had messaged me and you were sort of like, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing. And then like a week later, you're like, yeah. So by the way, I went ahead and started my business. <laughs> I know. I was like, um, yeah, it's my right. ADHD showing that I bad. Know. Yeah, no, but I just mean it was that sense of like, we just love <laughs> to throw everything at the wall. And I, you know, and that's what I mean. Like that enthusiasm is amazing. And I love that it exists. And I think we can do amazing things with it. But there, we also need to understand that that impulse is always going to be there. How do we even know when to act and when not? Yeah. Right. And that, I think that 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 that's not our baseline. I think that kind of um, superhero type energy, we think that like, oh, that's what I should be able to, yeah, to sustain all the time. I know I was living at that. And so anything less than that, my mind would view as um, like, I knew I had to like rest sometimes, but like, I just was like, yeah, that's always where I'm getting to that. Like <laughs> start a business over the weekend and then I'm going to run a half marathon and then I'm going to like do all the things and paint the room. And I, uh, for somehow for a while, I could, and I didn't pay the price. And then when I paid the price, I paid it hard and all at once. So I think, yeah, teaching our minds that like, hey, like that might happen, but yeah, that doesn't need to be our norm, but we can take advantage of it and start start a business too. Right. Yeah. And I, I feel like we're kind of collectively going through that with the great resignation right now, which is just like, Nothing is worth this kind of exhaustion, this kind of burnout, whatever my employer is expecting of me, it is taking too much and I'm done. Like, I think everybody is just like, fuck it, I'm done. Yeah, well, exactly. And I know that like people have talked about this and I I know that I have as well, just that like the neurodivergent um, person, the neurodivergent employee in a lot of ways, I feel like could be seen as that canary in the coal mine because we know that like, again, where this is like not for sure, 100% not dismissive, but the type of things that like we need that will like truly, truly, truly hurt our mental and physical health would benefit everybody. They're not things that are, you know, are so like out of this world, which I think in some ways, I think that's where we can see, you know, I do a lot of work with helping patients receive accommodations um, at work and navigate that process and or and or at school and um, and advocating with that. But I think sometimes because they're things that sometimes employers will see as well, if anybody like would want that, like kind of what like, what are you trying to get out of this? Or like, uh, oh, you'll be fine kind of an attitude. It's like, mm, no, <laughs> they won't be fine. And also like, this would be great for everybody, like truly not to like, again, dim diminish anything. But, um, you know, that's been a hard thing for me, for sure, to wrap my brain, my justice, let's change the system type brain. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. 
What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference health with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash women ADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash women ADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their Go Henry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at gohenry.com slash women ADHD. Again, that's gohenry.com slash women ADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. So now I... I Love the TikTok videos you've been doing on uh, medications and some of the like negative interactions with stimulants and the supplement stuff. It's been really eye opening. I'm curious, like what when you work with clients, are is that what you're doing? Is you're you're sort of looking at their whole drug cabinet and <laughs> like how to you know if somebody were to come to you and be like, should I take stimulants? I don't know if I should or if I shouldn't. Like what? I guess I'm, what do you typically work on with, with a client? What are some of the more popular questions you're getting? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. So, so here's the deal. I work basically with most of my patients in um, five different areas. So we address providers. So curating a care team, my background as a clinical pharmacist, um, I specialized in interprofessional care and interprofessional communication. So when I was in academia, I would help start clinic spaces um, that were basically incorporating pharmacists into care teams. So I worked in an endocrinology clinic, uh, doing a lot with like diabetes. Um, I worked in a a 14,000 patient dental clinic, whereas the only pharmacist there did care in a professional care there. So I do a lot then with helping um, patients curate care teams that are neurodivergent affirming, as a lot of uh, people have not had that. So that's kind of step one. Um, Also within that, um, huge advocate for making sure patients are getting correctly diagnosed. That way we can um, make sure we are addressing um, treatment plans accurately. So within that, we talk about medications and wellness um, as well. So I am also a functional medicine specialist, um, specifically in genomics. so that's looking at how kind of your genes 
interact with how you will metabolize medication, what your likelihood is of having chronic disease states, um, cardiovascular disease, things like that. So I'll work with patients too on um, applying functional medicine and their medication treatment plans and being a kind of what I say is a medically knowledgeable and neurodivergent knowledgeable thought partner in your entire care where that lies. And you can't silo neurodivergent healthcare and wellness. Like you just can't. It is, if you do, I always say to my patients, it's like, it's like whack-a-mole. You address one problem here at work or this one physical manifestation of the stress or whatever, there's all this stuff to look at on the outside and it's just plugging holes and you plug one and then water starts gushing out of the other. And the cool thing that I realized with like my professional background and then my personal experience was like, oh, I've got like five mallets. Like I can like, (laughs) we can just like, let's do this. Like this isn't working for these patients. And it's not, not only is it not working, it's like really, it can cause more harm as it did for me. Um, the, my process of trying to be diagnosed um, properly, I mean, truthfully, I am still working on the trauma uh, from that and end up diagnosed with PTSD and then also PNES, which is um, psychogenic non-epileptic seizures due to the trauma of that whole time period that definitely cannot be overlooked. Um, So providers, wellness, advocacy. So I work on um, advocacy wherever that might lie. So that might be just kind of in their personal life. Um, Again, teaching about how we can um, really build and curate whatever their realities of their life are, but how can we make them more comfortable? How can we make their kind of internal experience um, one that really, you know, matches their values and their boundaries? Um, But additionally, with a lot of patients, I am working on um, advocacy and accommodations within work, um, school, but work with a lot of um, graduate students um, as well as a, actually have a, most of my patients um, are healthcare providers, um, interestingly enough, which was kind of surprising to me, but kind of not. And yeah, so we work on that a lot too. We also then work on just support and community um, are kind of the other big aspects as uh, you can do all the right healthy things, but if you don't have the right, you know, support and community, then you highly likely you're still going to be sick. So I think there are a shit ton of neurodivergence in the healthcare community. It makes so much sense. I mean, it's like the, the, the human interaction, the spinning plates, the desire for, you know, the empathizing, the desire for care. I mean, it's all, it's just, yeah, it's got ADHD written all over it. I work with a lot of healthcare providers too. (laughs) So yeah, that all makes sense. And God, when you say advocacy too, like it just, it, it just, brings back so many uh, conversations I've had with people about like how much care and support is needed from your medical providers that we just aren't getting with this on this journey and how traumatizing that alone is uh, with this sort of a diagnosis, especially when 
you know, you're looking over your entire life with this new lens and realizing that you are the only expert of your entire experience. And you are the only one who really knows what you are feeling and knows what you are struggling and to have it be so difficult to have a language to our to advocate and are, and and it's so difficult to articulate in these doctors offices when so many women are met with like you know being dismissed or like my personal favorite is let's treat the depression first which drives me crazy because like it just you know i i i'm starting to realize over the course of you know this podcast and the more i learn through these interviews just like how medical professionals really only want to talk about what they are comfortable talking about because that's their training and i get that right but so i'm like realizing i'm seeing so many of these patterns in the way that people are diverted in conversation away from what they you know what these patients like fundamentally know to be true in their guts and are just kind of like pushed in these other directions because their provider is more comfortable over there you know what i mean and and then self advocacy is so important and so difficult and so yeah anytime you can be, like have somebody who kind of speaks that language that can be on a person's side i think is so important right and there's so many steps to navigate within that. I mean, it's an ADHD nightmare to begin with, like the whole process of even going about getting a diagnosis um, and scheduling that and remembering to show up and like knowing, like you said, being able to articulate it. Like, you know, I've had patients who've come to me and who have been like, you know, I think I might be ADHD. And I was like, okay, cool. Do you have any, do you have a psychiatrist? Are you set up with anything yet? Um, and I've even gotten from people within the world of healthcare be like, I don't know, maybe. And I was like, maybe you have an appointment with a psychiatrist. Like I'm, but like <laughs> how unsure they are of this process has been alarming to me. Like, and I mean, honestly, I'm not, I'm not shocked. They, I mean, even those of us who are healthcare providers navigating this specific kind of combo, um, this kind of mental health and then the physical health piece that ends up kind of correlated with it. And again, knowing that you need you need to be looked at through this lens by all of your providers is just even healthcare providers don't know like really how to navigate it. Again, like I, I didn't, well, I did, but like what I ended up, what really happened. And I think again, a lot of patients could find themselves in this. And this is where I was like, I, I have to start this business. Like, I, I have to do this. I, for so many of us, you know, we're not seeking this help when we're well. We're seeking it when we're unwell. And for a lot of us, again, with this high distress tolerance and not great interoception, we are very unwell by the time we are like, oh, the things are not okay. And I was so exhausted, so beat down, was having to advocate for my experience so hard in those settings that I reached a point where I had about just like given up and was like, I can't even do this anymore. And that scared the heck out of me. And I was like, I do this for a living. I navigate interprofessional healthcare communication. I navigate health insurance. I navigate medications. I navigate treatment plans. And I have been this beat down by how dismissed and invalidated. And just, I would always say that like, it felt like a lot of times when I was talking to the providers that I was talking to a wall, they were speaking to a patient that wasn't sitting there. They were speaking to an idea of what they thought 
they were going to experience or hear, but they weren't listening to me. Not until I found the therapist and psychiatrist who I'm working with now who are absolutely fabulous. But that's where I was like, no, I want patients to know that unfortunately there are a lot of providers out there who they just don't have the education. They don't have the skills. They don't have the tools to do so. And like you said, they can get very stuck, you know, they're people too. (laughs) And they, uh, sometimes the ego gets in the way of remembering that, uh, there are maybe other providers out there who would be better suited for the patient. Um, and that their experience is real because it is their experience and it is our job to take care of them. Um, and to me, that's whole person care. Um, so if I can empower anybody who hears this or anybody, uh, anywhere, I'm shouting that message over and over again, that like, there are providers out there who will understand you or who will take the time to understand you. And to I know it is ex- absolutely exhausting, but please keep going, keep looking, <laughs> contact me, <laughs> let me help. Like, um, that's, you know, one thing I'm, and I know some other, um, ADHD women are hoping to put kind of same similar lists together, but putting lists together of providers of all sorts um, from different states who are either trained in, experienced in really neurodivergent affirming care. So that way, hopefully we'll have a bigger resource list for people soon. Right. Yeah. And that is the one of the things I really love about hearing more and more of like ADHD treatment centers that are becoming more and more popular where it's really just sort of like this one-stop shop where they're recognizing the fact that like you you don't just go in get a diagnosis and a prescription and leave and that's it and you know that there really is so much more to the treatment plan and so even just going to your local doctor and getting a diagnosis is really not always the the best route to take or you know or just realizing that like like you said every step of the process is difficult <laughs> just remembering to get your ref- medication refilled like that's insane like why is this why is this a controlled substance like ah you know and then not only that but then why are women you know stigmatized by wanting a stimulant for their medic you know for ADHD and then being lumped in with all of these people who feel like they're drug seeking or just, you know, just like getting into that situation where you just feel like you're being looked down the nose at you, you know, when you're at the pharmacist or all of these ways in which like, it just, I don't know, it it, it really hits you in the face how, like you said, you're in a really, nobody ever comes to an ADHD diagnosis because they're walking around being like, I'm amazing. I feel great. And I would like a name for this superpower. Usually people are in a lot of distress, right? So it's like, you have to get to that point where you even get there and admit that you need help. But then at the same time to realize as you're asking for help and finally feeling like you're getting it to realize how much stigma there is around this diagnosis and sort of opening up to this, like, oh my God, like I always joke about that with like, for the first time in my life, I feel like I am not a total fuck up. Like, I feel like, oh my God, like my view of myself has changed so dramatically. And yet I'm realizing that everybody else in my life who used to think I was this incredibly confident person, now that I'm open about ADHD, their opinion of me has now changed. And so it's like, you have to live with that, right? So uh, anyway. Well, and I feel like that, well, it it hits on something I think that's super interesting that I feel like I experienced also um, that with the fact that I am, it's pride month right now. recording in June. Um, but I'm queer and married to a woman. And I 
have found that my quote coming out process, um, especially autism, uh, I have lost more people in my life with being open about that than I have um, with being queer. And I, um, I live in the Midwest. Um, I live in Nebraska. Um, not always known for being the most um, open of places for people who live a little outside the box. Um, and that was not something I was um, quite emotionally prepared for and still is kind of, um, I'll wake up some mornings and just kind of still kind of in shock of like, that happened. Like, and this is kind of where this is at. So I kind of almost feel like I'm at the beginning of this kind of neurodivergent, I don't know, kind of at this advocacy movement. I think we're all kind of at the start of this. And while it's painful, it's, um, I'm happy to be a part of it, I guess. Yeah, I, feel, I, I know. I like to remind myself about how many amazing people I have met since my diagnosis, because I have also had a very similar situation where I have I have pulled away from a lot of people in my own life. And I, I don't know if people have pulled away from me so much. I know that I am actively pulling away from a lot of people. And I, I'm really still trying to figure out, was this pandemic related? Because, like, you know, I always joke, like, the pandemic brought out the introvert in a lot of us. And, like, I am not ready for a lot of this, you know, coming back. But like, it's been enough time now at this point that I think a lot of it has to do with boundaries. And my relationship to the world has changed so drastically since my diagnosis, right? And so I like the fact that you use the um, comparison of coming out, because I, uh, I often think about that, you know, that idea that like, it is sort of like coming out because there's, you know, when you do s announce this diagnosis, there's the people in your life who are like, yay, that's amazing. And also, we already knew this. How do how did you not know this? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's also the people who are like, I was much more comfortable with who you were before. And so you're the relationship has re become really awkward and changed. And so those are the people that I'm really feeling like, I don't know if they've changed so much, but I have changed so drastically. And so I'm realizing that I am just not interested in a lot of the relationships I used to have. I'm still trying to figure that out, that one out. Is it because I have these boundaries and I'm not willing to act a certain way and I'm not willing to mask? Was I treated a certain way originally and I'm not willing to be treated? Or am I just like, I'm just trying to live my life with what I'm comfortable with. And sort of like we were saying before, like I'm pulling back, I'm just doing a lot less and a, and a lot less often includes a lot less socializing and a lot less like trying, you know, in the way that you really had to try really hard with certain relationships. And I'm just like, I don't want to try anymore. But then the other part of me is like, well, I'm also like 40, almost 48. Like maybe I just don't give a shit anymore. Like maybe it's just age. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I'm still trying to figure out what it all is. It's probably all of the above, but yeah, like I agree since my diagnosis, my relationship with a lot of people in my life has changed. And I, for the most part, I also remember like when I get down about the fact that there's like, especially a lot of extended family members that I'm just not talking to anymore that I'm just like, mm, I nope, not doing it anymore. <laughs> I also try to remember like, yeah, like how 
Right? Yeah. But I also remember that, like, my world has opened up to so many incredible people as a result in the way that I feel most, like, nourished, you know, in terms of relationships where they're on a different plane, they're on a different level, there's not a lot of trying, there's not a lot of guilt or feeling like, oh, I really should call this person or I really, oh, I feel terrible that I didn't remember that, you know, like, I feel like they're just, like, more lighthearted and casual and kind of what I need as a human. (laughs) Right. Well, and I think it like describes, like you said, like, I think it is this, this easier connection with people. And I think I, I say it on my website and it's why I also love this business and what I'm doing and my practice for my patients, but for myself in that when we're talking to each other, we're already speaking the same language. Like you don't have to translate your spirit from moment one here. Like, I got you. You're going to go off on some spiderweb tangent, followed along. No problem. Like, I got you. And everybody, every single patient apologizes for like the dump of information and like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, like this is, this is the norms, the expected. And this is what I want because I'm like you. And I think that, you know, I think we just kind of changed as far as yeah, those relationships really being who we were. And I know, yeah, for myself, there were definitely some relationships and some friends where I really realized how much, I mean, really probably not great things I put up with and tolerated because I knew that my personality, which specifically a lot of the things that I could attribute to ADHD as well as autism, required a healthy amount of patience from certain people in my life that I had grown up with. And so I kind of took that to be normal. Kaylin just takes patience or Kaylin is just silent, like very quiet. I um, had my my freshman roommate, college roommate, shout out to Amy. Um, she uh, used to call me silent because I would talk so rarely because in return, I gave out patience like it was... Uh, totally free to the point that I uh, was then definitely taken advantage of in some of those uh, circumstances and settings. So yeah, a huge part for me in those relationships ending ending was setting those boundaries and like, no, I'm not going to tolerate this type of behavior. And pretty quick (laughs) people were gone. I was like, yeah, okay. That, that was a thing, but you know, it's, it is, it truly as painful as that process is. And I know I help, you know, patients kind of write, I think a lot of my patients are right at that crux. They're right at that point where they've got like one foot in the old life and they can see the new one and they know they want it, but like, oof, this is going to hurt. And I always am like, yeah, it is. It really, really, it's not going to be easy. It's truly not. Um, but I can say on the other side, there's still pain, but you're you. And that's better. And <laughs> and the health then, like the mind-body connection, it is so real. It is so I mean, I see it, I see it every every single day. And I see it honestly, I mean, I get to see it in my wife with her autoimmune condition. What stress <laughs> and what not living into herself and not not holding her boundaries does to her physical health and to her ADHD too on a daily basis. And um, yeah, it's better. 
it's truly better on the other side. I promise. Yeah, that is such a good point, too. I think I reflect back on my own mental health since my diagnosis. And it's true. Like, you know, it's a learning process. I still take on too much. I still get like, you know, those those physical signs of anxiety and all of those things where I'm like, Oh, wait, I can't breathe. Okay, what's going on? Where? Yeah, <laughs> I have to like take stock. But I think you're right. Like that, that idea of just like going and going and going and jumping up and always doing like that idea of like, I don't think I'll ever get to that point of burnout ever again, because I I just won't accept it. Like I, you know, I always talk about like, living life with my, the notes in the margins, right, where I'm just like, I see now where this leads, and I'm not going there anymore. And so yeah, you think like, it's so incredibly, there's so much grief. And it's so it can be really lonely a lot of the time going through this diagnosis, because, nobody is going to understand what is happening to you, but you and then all of the amazing other women, if you can meet them who are also going (laughs) through these diagnoses. But for the people who are surrounding you in your life, a lot of the time have no idea what you're going through. And that can be really isolating. But I, I agree, I think from a mental health standpoint, it is only going to get better. And it only does get better. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's, that's my hope. That's my goal. You know, like half of what I do is, you know, this one-on-one work with my um, patients. And I see that as I'm tending to (laughs) the problem that our systems and our cultures and our healthcare have presented these patients with and where we're at now. And that's kind of the Band-Aid work currently, but like, I, I am just always such an upstream thinker. And like, I, again, have finally really, you know, I love that. I loved academia a lot, but you know, there were still a lot of restrictions on things I could change and do. And that was so frustrating for me. And I'm like, why can't, why can't we just fix this? We know this is a problem. We know this is, you know, whatever an issue, but now I spend then a lot of my time still um, working within advocating, especially with my background in um, academia and teaching as a professor, I will still go into schools, graduate programs, mostly again, within healthcare, um, pharmacy schools, PT, OT, um, PA, NPs, medical, um, whatnot, and we'll talk about this, talk about neurodivergent affirming care. And I get mixed responses from academic institutions on the interest uh, of this, but I think the students want it. <laughs> They're very woke to it. So it's, uh, you know, I'm hopefully getting in with these these new crops of providers. So I'm, I really, really, really am truly hopeful that um, it will be better. It will get better. Kat, I hope so. I hope there's we have ended this cycle of like a whole generation of women just being diagnosed as just depressed. <laughs> and that there's no such thing. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food and my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. 
I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates, so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one coaching is right for you. Again, that's womeninadhd.com coaching, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working, and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. And actually, that reminds me the whole, you know, as somebody who was diagnosed from uh, the age of 19 on with depression and anxiety, and now... I believe it was an entirely a misdiagnosis. I believe I was undiagnosed ADHD. I do not believe I'm depressed. Now, can you be both? Absolutely. I mean, ADHD is a shit show. There's a lot of things to be depressed about. (laughs) But one thing I see a lot of, and I'm curious, and I don't know if this is sort of outside of the purview of pharmacy, but um, like I see a lot of clients who were diagnosed with depression and anxiety are on some serious either SSRIs or cocktails of anti-anxiety and and antidepressant medications, and then get put on a stimulant because they are finally diagnosed with ADHD. Should that be a red flag? Like, because I I don't know, I'm always sort of like, I'm not a medical professional, I don't comment on this, but I that's always kind of like, stops me in my tracks when I see that. Is that something to be wary of in general? Here's the deal. I think that especially 
as a woman with ADHD, I would probably step into most interactions with providers with a sense of weariness, with a sense of the uh, ability to and at the ready to self-advocate, which would be to at least ask these type of questions, like to not be afraid to, to ask the questions of, hey, you put me on a depressant and a stimulant, like those things seem like they're counterintuitive. Should I be on both? Now, so I'm not going to say it definitely isn't like a red flag. I'm actually, I am on an SSRI. um, I'm on Prozac and I take Vyvanse um, every day as well. The only thing that would be with that is, again, there is some hit up with that. Some of the antidepressants are, again, depressants and can cause adverse effects like sleepiness, things like that, where we're going to have obviously the opposite effect of the stimulant. You might just find that um, like when I was on higher doses of those same, I was diagnosed major depressive disorder, anxiety disorder, borderline personality disorder when I was hitting the fan with this, which that was great. And then the PNES too. I mean, I was truly sedated by the providers that I was working with and knew that as a pharmacist, but was like not being heard at all. So there was a time period where I was kind of adjusting and coming off of both. And at that time, then we had to kind of, I was, I was on like 70 milligrams of Vyvanse at the time. So a lot of Vyvanse to basically counteract what was happening with those, which it's not great at all. Ask questions for sure. Do not be afraid to. I think, like you said, that a lot of patients with ADHD will do okay and fine and probably better just on the stimulant itself. But we do know that while dopamine is the main neurotransmitter we think is um, really at play, there are some other possibilities of other neural transmitter deficiencies within those same patients. So affecting things like serotonin, affecting possibly norepinephrine. So there can be some benefit then from also being on an SSRI or an SNRI, um, an antidepressant, um, which will help to have more of those neurotransmitters floating around and making you feel hopefully better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Oh, I have so many questions about this stuff, but I... <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we can do this again. <laughs> I know, right? I'm very excited for the Q&A, the community too, because yeah. I'm putting my list together, um, you know, especially about that stuff. Because I think the big question for so many of us is like, what are they even targeting? What am I even looking for? What am I like? That was always my question in the very beginning, where it's like, how do I even know it's working? You know, and all of that stuff, it can be so confusing. Well, and especially when you don't have good interoception. Well, exactly. I was like, I talk about self-advocacy and how important it is, but then oftentimes I'm like, who put me in charge? I don't want to be in charge right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, and that's what I talk about with patients. And I'm like, I like to be very real in that. Like, yeah, I remember when I first started even on antidepressants and also on the stimulant. And I was asked like by my psychiatrist, like, hey, do you think it's working? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I barely know how I feel. I can't even describe that on any day. Like, and like, yeah, I I know, like, I was taught what to look for. So there was a lot of then like, okay, but like, this is what I'm like talking about with neurodivergent affirming care. You can't just ask somebody who's, you know, neurodivergent, who maybe is for the first time, really connecting with their like internal experience in this way, like, 
do you think it's working? And just that kind of open-ended. So I try to put together a lot more precise, I guess, kind of questionings or examples of what that might look like um, for you. I know that with the stimulant medication, that's always hard for people to, especially when I know I get a lot of women who are kind of like, well, maybe I have it. Maybe I don't. Like, maybe I actually don't have it. And that constant. Maybe I tricked my doctor. Yeah. Right. So I think they look to the medication to validate that. And for not for every patient, I know some patients will say like, gosh, yeah, oh my God, I didn't know I could have this type of focus, but that's not the case for everybody. I didn't experience that. Like there, it was better, but I just realized, oh, I got out of bed after like 15, 20 minutes rather than laying there for two hours. So like, it was kind of once I looked back at my day that I was like, oh, that was different. But that's what I coach or talk to my patients to do is like, if if we can, let's pick out like, what is that like, um, when you think about your really, really top ADHD symptoms, like look at that, like use that as your barometer. Is it easier? Was it, did it, did the time come down a little bit? Do you, do you have less anxiety around those things? I find more often for patients, it's kind of this very silent, quiet, just improvements in those. But if you can kind of watch those, I think that's a better way because that just kind of broad, like, how do you feel? Um, <laughs> it's really, really hard for anybody, but definitely for us. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Before we, uh, before we talk about your practice and how people can find you and work with you, cause you work with people outside of Nebraska, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I like to ask if you could rename ADHD to something that's a little less confusing, would you call it something else? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> the right away, when you say that my first, my first thought, my first response is, um, well, if I were a man, I would name it the Kalen Johnson disorder. <laughs> I would name it after myself, right? Like, just, I mean, I just had, just had to throw that out there that like, that would be what I would name it, but I'm not. So I, I when I've thought about this and like, honestly, I think I would name it something along the lines of like neural transmission deficiency disorder, even within the medical community, there is so much bias, uh, implicit bias, even from providers that come along with the names of different disorders or diseases. So I think something that were to describe the possible, you know, pathophysiology of the disorder would sit well with providers where, again, I think the diagnosis and the treatment, um, that being kind of the most important piece from there. Um, yeah. I think that's what I would go with. NTDD. Uh, it reminds me of a of a video you shared on your Instagram of, you know, learning disorders and that learning disorders are only called disorders when uh, the, the environment demands one way of learning. And I thought that was so beautifully articulated. So, yeah, how can people work with you and, and how can you help people who are just in that state of just like... As neurodivergents often are, which is like, I just don't know what to do next. Uh, I feel like you are such a valuable uh, beacon in in this storm. So how can people find you and work with you? 
Heck yeah. Thank you so much. And I mean, that's exactly why like I did st- start the business after like a month after emailing you because I was like, oh my gosh, I like I have to do this. Like this is what is needed. So yeah, like I work one-on-one with patients, clients. I never care about the name. Here's the deal. I don't, I hate boxes. I hate pathologizing. I want to work and I want to know you. That is what I do. One-on-one, unique healthcare application of treatment plans, really looking at your entire life through this lens and getting you on a path to a life that you can feel healthy and at peace in. And I focus always, always, always on sustainability. I don't want anything that if you can't if see yourself living this way for six months, a year, whatever, the rest of your life, like back to the drawing board, like we're gonna, we're gonna get this, we're gonna get you to a point where like, again, you are, you're comfortable and you're well. So they can find me at kaylinjohnson.com and first name it's K-A-L-I-N, um, not the most common first name, last name's easy, um, but you can go there. You can sign up for my newsletter. Um, I send out neurodivergent health and wellness tips a couple times a month. You can register for my next free webinar, which will be coming up then in September. Um, and you can book a consult with me and those are free. And I just would love to chat about what your journey has been and see how I can best support you. Or if that's not me, refer you to um, one of my colleagues. Oh, nice. I love that, right? If we just want to feel heard, we just want somebody who supports us. Uh, yeah, there'll be links in the in the show notes to all of your your wonderful website and all of that. And I'm thank you so much. I'm so grateful to know you and to get a chance to sit down and hear a little bit more about you. And if you know, when we talk about like, that that new kind of conversation when we find each other, right? I totally related to that. Like, yeah, we don't want small talk. Let's just get straight to the trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Dump it. I love it. I have a t-shirt right. I always wear. <laughs> I have a t-shirt I wear as often as I can when I have um, initial consults that says vent to me um, because I'm like, here, this is the message. <laughs> like, go for it. I, I, I have the space to hold. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Ah, that was beautiful. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure sitting down with you. So thank you, Kaylin. Thank you. I loved it. Thank you so much. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com slash coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.